All right, I just want to look at a couple scriptures this morning, just a few things that the Lord showed me, just a few tidbits. Um, I want to begin with Genesis in chapter 22 and verse 14. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 14. And uh, this verse is very important because it's actually the first mention in the Bible where love is first mentioned. And there's an, and it's also the first time, I believe, worship is mentioned as well. And so there's a couple things that we can learn from that, all of us together. We can learn about uh, what true worship is and what true love is. <clears throat> he says, um, in Genesis 22, he says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. The neighbor had said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. So God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And he calls and Abraham is obedient to that command. He's going over to the, he finds the mountain and what happens? He says, we will go over there and worship because that's what obe that's what worship is. Worship is true obedience to God's commandments. You know, you have people, we can sing songs, we can dance, we can go to church, we can sweat and do all that kind of stuff, do all kind of Christian activity and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, true worship for God is what? Obedience. And that's what the Bible says in 1 John. He says, this is love for God, that we obey his commands. If I love the Lord, then I'll do what he says. And if I don't do what he says, I just need to admit, I don't love the Lord. You just Lord, And then, Lord, help me. Help me to love you. Help me to be more obedient to you. You see, it's, it's okay to be honest with God like that because God appreciates honesty like that. Lord, I don't love you because I don't obey your commands. Lord, help me to love you by being obedient to your commandments. So he says, stay here with the boy, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his fa father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And, and, what, and what he said there was prophetic because that's exactly what God would do through our Lord and Savior, Yeshua, Jesus Christ. God would provide himself a lamb who would do what? Take on the sin, who would be the sacrifice for the whole world, for all of our sins. He says, and when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So we learn from this chapter as well 
that what is the true fear of God? The true fear of God is when I'm willing to give up the thing that is most precious to me for God, whatever that is. Abraham had waited almost 100 years for Isaac to be born. Abraham was 99 years old, almost 100 years old when before Isaac was born. He waited all that time. Sarah had he had been married to Sarah for so many decades and they had been waiting all this time to have a son. And then what happens? God tells them, sacrifice your son. And what does Abraham do? Abraham does it without hesitation. And this is why the Bible says that he feared God, because the thing that mattered to him the most, which was Isaac, the thing that he loved the most, he was willing to give up. And there's a lesson for that in us. Whatever the thing is that we love the most, whether it's our pleasure, whether it's our comfort, whether it's money, whether it's material things, whether it's our family, whether it's our spouse, our children, whatever the thing is that we love the most. And for children, toys or whatever, whatever the thing is, if we're willing to give that up for God, then that's demonstrating the fear of him. Whatever the thing is that God says we must give up, that's what we give up. If it's whatever the sin is, if he says give up movies, you give it up. If it says give up music, you give it up. If he says give up this friend or that friend, whatever, you give it up. Why? Because you fear God. You see, and that's what the fear of God is. The fear of God is to be obedient and to hate evil. And so uh, it's just like the Bible says in Hebrews in chapter 11 that Noah it's like, okay, so there are two instances of the fear of God. In Proverbs, he says the fear of God is to hate evil. Okay, so that's one. That's like defense. That's defense, staying away from evil. But then the fear of God is also offense, where you're doing, where you're actively doing something. So you have one uh, side of the fear of God coin that says, don't do this. Then you have the other fear, side of the fear of God coin that says, do this, right? So the, on the, the don't do this side, the fear of God, the Bible says the fear of God is to hate evil. But then on the offensive side, the fear of God is to be obedient to his commands. And that's why the Bible says in Hebrews in chapter 11, Noah was moved with holy fear, built the ark. You see, that's an offensive thing. God told him, build the ark. He feared God. He built the ark. That's the same thing that Abraham did. God told him, give up Isaac. He gave up Isaac. So he says, and uh, he says, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. He says, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, what is that lesson for us? What, what he, in the, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided in the place of obedience. God will provide for me. You see, in the place of obedience, the Lord God will provide for me. When I'm obedient to him, he will make a way for me to do his will. You see, a sacrifice still had to be made. And but what happened? He didn't have to sacrifice Isaac. Why? Because he was obedient. He was willing to give Isaac up. So what did the Lord do? The Lord provided a substitute for Isaac. And that's why he gave him the ram in the place of obedience. When God tells me to do something and I do it, he will provide for me. He will take care of me. He will take care of us in that place. That's where the Lord provides. 
You see, so many of us, we struggle. We're struggling financially. We're struggling in this way, our health, whatever. We're struggling, struggling, struggling. But why? Because we're not in the place of obedience. Because in the place of obedience, the Lord will provide. We see that as a clear example in this, in this verse. Where Abraham obeyed the Lord and was willing to give up Isaac, what happened? He was obedient and God provided. And so what does God have to do? Because we as human beings, we are very stubborn creatures, no matter whether it's here in the United States or among people who are wealthy or whether we're dealing with impoverished countries. I've dealt with both. I've seen it in both areas. By God's grace, I've seen it everywhere. We are very stubborn and rebellious people. So how do we learn this obedience to God that will cause us to give up everything, that will cause us to be obedient, that will cause us to do whatever God says without reservation? What are some of the things that we have to go through? Well, we have to look at the example of our Lord and Master and God, Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus Christ. We have to look at what happened. We have to look at how he handled things and how he learned obedience. The Bible says in Hebrews in chapter 5 and verse 8, He says, although he was a son, what happened? He learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. How did the Lord Jesus Christ learn obedience? By what he what? Suffered. Jesus Christ, our Lord, had to suffer every single trial that you could imagine. And and through those trials, what was he? He was obedient. The Lord said to go here. The Holy Spirit would lead him here. He went there. The Holy Spirit would tell him to do this. He did it. The Holy Spirit would lead him in in this direction. He'd go in this direction. The Bible says in in, uh, John chapter 6 and verse 8, he says, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So what happened? Even if that meant suffering, he obeyed. He was obedient because he recognized that his life is only meant to do the will of his father in heaven. And so for us, and that's going to mean suffering because because that's the Bible says in first Peter four and one, he who suffers in the body is done with sin. So if we want to stop sinning, we must suffer. And anytime we obey God's commands, there is some part of us that our flesh, our self-will, that's suffering. Because there are certain things that we want to do. We want to have pleasure. We want to do what we want to do. We want to go where we want to go. We want to have what we want to have. We want to watch what we want to watch and listen to what we want to listen to. We want to hang out with who we want to hang out with. And so here comes along the commandments of our Lord and God telling us, you must not do this. You must not do that. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Do not be yoked together with unbelievers and on and on. The Lord just starts attacking everything that we love. And so when we give it up, when we obey, oh my goodness, there's suffering involved because we want it. You see, that's where the suffering always is. I want something. The Lord says no. And when I and when the Lord says no, it's like, oh, God, the flesh rises up. But we have to die to that because the Lord knows what's best for all of us. Even if we don't even even if we don't think so, the Lord knows what's best. So when he he tells us, no, there's suffering involved. And that's what Jesus Christ was always doing every single day of his life. He was always denying himself, always saying no to what he wanted, and always yes to what the Lord wanted. And why? 
why 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 suffering? How come God just doesn't how come God just doesn't uh bless us out of our sinful behavior? How come why is it that why is it that suffering has to be the thing that gets us out of our sin? Why is it why does it have to be that way? Why you know, instead of just being blessed out. You hear people say that too. You know, the whole health wealth movement. God'll just bless you. He'll just bless you. Why can't we be blessed out of our sin? Why can't we self-indulge our way out of sin? Because the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 10, Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 10, he talks about what happens to that, to us, if such a thing were to happen. Isaiah 26 and verse 10. Why can't we just be blessed out of our sin? He says, if favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. So you see, if I'm blessed out of my, I'm, I'm doing wrong and I'm still, quote unquote, blessed, or I'm still getting, the reason why he doesn't do that, doesn't do it that way, show favor to wickedness is because you don't learn righteousness like that. If anything, we become more wicked. We become more conceited. We become more self-indulgent of the flesh. We don't learn righteousness like that. We only learn righteousness by what we suffer. He says in the land of uprightness, what will he do? He deals corruptly and he will, he does not see the majesty of the Lord. He still, if a, if a wicked person is blessed, if I'm doing wicked, if I'm doing something evil, unchristlike, and I'm still being blessed, I don't see the Lord's majesty, meaning that I don't put the, make the Lord as king of my heart. I make myself king of my heart and what I want as king. You see, I further enthrone my self-will and what I want. I don't, the Lord is not enthroned. If the Lord is blessing me, blessing me, blessing me, blessing me, and I'm sitting up here doing wrong. You see, that's the problem with people who don't ever want to be corrected. You want somebody to bless you. you you'll receive blessing and gifts and compliments and all this kind of stuff, but you won't receive rebuke. Why? Because you don't want to learn righteousness. Because the only way you're going to learn righteousness is through rebuke, through correction, through instruction. Well, you're not being loving. You're not being loving. Well, if I'm not being loving, then if I'm not, if, if I'm, rebuke is love. The Bible says in Revelation chapter two, those whom I love, this is words of Jesus Christ, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Rebuke is love. So he says, if favor is shown, the wicked, shown to the wicked, Isaiah 26 and 10, if favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. If I am, if I'm, if all you hear is somebody always complimenting you and blessing you and, and never correcting you, never telling you you're wrong, never challenging you, then what happens is a self gets further and further in control and is set entrenched further and further on the throne of our heart. And the Lord God of heaven will not be enthroned in a heart like that. He can't. That's why he says we must suffer because that sin's got to be burned out of us. It's got to be burned out. It's like our hearts become hard like steel. And so what happens, the only thing, what do you do with something that's unbending and unyielding? The only thing to get it to bend is to put fire to it. 
And that's what our circumstances are. That's what hardships are. That's what difficulty is. That's what challenging is. It's been going through pain, going through suffering, going through hardship. That's what that does. It kills the self-will. It kills what I want so I can do what God wants. You see, that's exactly what it does. That's why we struggle. That's why children get spankings. That's why adults get spankings through, diff, through going through difficult times, while we go through hardships, while we go through suffering, difficult job, difficult husband, difficult wife, difficult children, difficult circumstances, financial difficulties, difficult environment. Why does God allow that? Because he's breaking us. He's killing the self-will in us, the thing in us that wants to rebel against God. He's killing that. Um, and so this is why we don't, this is why God doesn't bless us out of our situation, but why s- suffering is the only answer for that. And uh, we're going to end with Romans in chapter 2 and verse 28. Romans in chapter 2 and verse 28 through 29. Romans chapter 2 verse 28 through 29. He says, uh, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Now he says, circumcision is not outward, but it's physical. I mean, he says it's not outward or physical. He says, but a Jew, a true Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Now, what is he talking about there? Circumcision of the heart is severing, is God severing the ties between me and my will. That's what circumcision is. Circumcision is me severing ties with my will, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm cutting cutting ties with my will. I'm saying I no longer am doing what I want to do. I'm cutting ties. And there's pain in that. You see, when we were children, including you, when you were, when we were children, we were small, we were circumcised. The skin of our male organ was the foreskin of our male organ was cut off because there's all kind of bacteria and stuff that collects in there. So they cut it off as a to for a health for a health for our health. And so but there's that's painful. As children we're screaming out in pain. It it, it hurts. But once it's over, what happens? We're healthy. And it's the same thing with us. For us to have spiritual health we must circumcise our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. We must cut ties with our self-will, cut ties with what we want to do, cut ties with our plans, our dreams, our goals, our desires, our ambitions, cut ties with what we want and the people who we want to be around and the places we want to go, cut ties with all that. And then our hearts will be completely in tune with what the Holy Spirit wants. You see, the only thing that brings confusion in our spiritual life is the fact that there are things that we want to do that God does not want us to do. God is going in one direction and we're going in another. That's where all the confusion comes from. But there really is no need for the confusion. All we've got to do is say, Lord, I renounce everything I want to do. I renounce it. And Lord, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And then everything will be clear as a bell. Really, everything will be crystal clear in your mind. 
When you and I have that attitude, Lord, I renounce everything I want to do. I renounce it in the name of Jesus Christ. I renounce right now everything that I want to do. And I say, Lord, whatever you would have for me to do, bring it to me. From now on, let it come to me. As Jesus says in, in uh, John chapter 6 and verse 38 again, all that the Father has for me will come to me. It's going to come to me. Why? For I come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I don't want to do my own will, Lord. So, hey, whatever comes to me, that's what's going to come. I give up everything that I want to do. Everything. I renounce it completely. You see, and then everything in our life, everything in our Christian life will become crystal clear and there'll be no confusion. But we've got to go through that pain. We've got to go through the pain of renouncing what we want to do at every time, every time it comes up and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Let's read um, real quick. Um, better yet, let's stop here and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for all you've done for us, Lord. Help us to do your will and to live for you. We renounce our ways right now. We renounce everything that we want to do. We renounce it, Lord, and say whatever you bring into our life, that's what we want. So, Father, have your way in us, Lord. We want to do your will and your will alone. Please bring it to us so we'll know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is what you want us to do because we want to be obedient to you. In the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.